Good morning, and welcome to the Sunday stream at Flat Creek Baptist Church. We are so thankful that you've joined us today. Whether you're watching online or you are joining us on Glory FM 97.5, we are grateful for you being here today, and we look forward to worshiping alongside of you this morning. God bless you, and enjoy the stream. for a men's conference so he has left it over to me and I want to tell you now I am very sorry <laughs> but uh, if you wouldn't mind please stand and sing with us as we sing house of the Lord the God who was, we worship the God who is, we worship the God who evermore will be. He opened the prison doors, he parted the raging sea, my God, he holds a victory. Shout out your praise. There's joy in the house of the Lord. Our 
Well, again, thank you for coming to Flat Creek Baptist Church today. Uh, if you are a visitor, there is going to be a little card uh, in the back of your pews. It is a visitor's card, and we just want you all to fill that out. Um, it's not for us to, uh, to, to bother you and continuously contact you every single day. We just want to get to know you, and we want to, uh, we just, we want to know uh, where, where you are with your walk with the Lord. Um, at this time, I'm going to ask uh, John uh, to pray for us. Father, we love you and we thank you for this day. Thank you for who you are and thank you for everything that you do. God, we pray for our mission team in Uganda, that you would give them safety, that you would give them fruitfulness. God, that you would uh, reach to the corners of the earth and use us to do it. Lord, we ask that you would change lives, change hearts, and most importantly, bring people to salvation through them. God, um, we pray for Chris as he's about to step up and give the message, Lord, that you would just glorify yourself through him. God, that your words would be spoken and that we would not see him or his intelligence or his words, God, but we would see you through him. Father, we pray for Zach and Caleb that they would have a safe flight, God, and that you would just take care of them, Lord, and we praise you for everything you're doing here at our church. God, we ask that you would just get our hearts ready for worship and receive the words that you have for us today, this morning. It's in your holy name we pray. Amen. Now I'm going to ask you to uh, please stand with us again as we sing Here I Am to Worship. Um, also, I'd like, to, uh, like, to, uh, like for you all to greet each other. Um, if you haven't seen somebody in a while, say hi to them. Tell them you love them. Um, but yeah.
please be seated.
at this time, if you have a child that is between kindergarten and fifth grade, if you would send them to the front with Mr. Todd and Mr. James here, and they will take them down to Children's Church. As I said, uh, uh, Caleb and Pastor Zach, they are on their way to South Dakota right now, but we do have a very uh, special guest. Uh, Brother Chris is going to come up, and he is going to uh, preach the word to us. So uh, everybody give it up for uh, Mr. Chris. Thank you all. I think this is on, is it? Yes, it's on. There we go. Um, it's a pleasure to be here this morning. Um, I have been a member now of Flat Creek for a few months, and uh, some of you are wondering, who in the world is this guy? Well, I'm a new member, so if you're a new member, your time's coming. Um, so, <laughs> while... While Pastor Zach and Caleb are going to uh, South Dakota, of all places, as it's getting cold, um, he asked me to uh, fill the pulpit for him a couple weeks ago. Um, so who am I, uh, right? Um, who is this guy standing in front of you right now? Um, my name is Chris Jesse. Uh, we've, uh, my, my family and I, we, we've lived in multiple places. I was in vocational ministry for about 11 years. Um, I've been a youth pastor, executive pastor, I've been a lead pastor. We left vocational ministry around uh, 2016, 2017 to go plant home churches. Um, God laid it on my heart, uh, those that have been hurt in churches that have said, I'm never, studying, I'm, I'm never stepping foot back in a church again. Those, those are the people that my heart reached out to to plant home churches for. Um, so we've lived in Florida. I grew up in Florida. Um, we've lived in Ohio. I've lived in Northern Virginia, just south of D.C., Eastern Virginia, um, and now here. Uh, my wife and I are taking a hiatus right now from planting home churches. Um, and when we were looking about like, where does God want us to serve, um, I had a list of churches. Like I basically pulled up Apple Maps right on my phone. And I was just looking around, okay, God, what's around us? Because I truly believe that God, he has strategically placed, uh, placed every single one of us Amen. to serve in the area where God has strategically placed you. So I was praying, where did you want me to serve? I'm not about the church shopping of God, what church is going to fit my needs. I was praying, God, where do you want me to serve? And God kept leading me here to Flat Creek, so we came and... Been here for a few months now. Uh, growing up, I, um, I struggled with stuttering. Um, I was afflicted with that speech impediment, went through years of, uh, of speech therapy, hated every minute of it. Uh, for those of you that know music in speech therapy, we had a metronome that, that, that actually did a beat, and every single time the speech therapist said, every time you hear the beat, Go ahead and say a word. And so I, I, I learned to hate metronomes, okay? Um, so when I was in high school, I got the calling to be a pastor, and I looked at God, and I was just like, why? Um, do you want me to stand up in front of people and speak when you know what I deal with? And he said, I'm going to take care of that. You, you do what I've called you to do. So if there's anything that I am passionate about as a pastor... Um, it is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I mean, um, 
It's been a wonderful thing. It has been a wonderful journey. Um, and so this morning, what I'm going to do is I'm actually going to walk us through the beauty of what the gospel is. I'm very passionate about the gospel. I'm very passionate about the right gospel. Um, after all, Paul says in Romans 1.16, I am unashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for in it is the power of salvation for all of those that believe. Um, I love that verse so much, I got it tattooed on my forearm, Romans 1.16. Um, that is my call every single day to be in this world and be unashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But it counts as to what you're unashamed for. Um, back in 2020, there actually was a study done by the Gospel Coalition. And they did a study and they uh, reached out to people in America and they said, what is the gospel? And this kind of alarmed me. 48% of American adults hold to the belief that salvation can be earned by doing enough good things in their lives. And this is what disturbed me even more. 52% of professing Christians in America, evangelical Christians, said that they hold to this same works-oriented doctrine as well. And that kind of breaks my heart as a pastor. Um... Because what we risk here, if we don't understand the gospel completely, is we risk not knowing God, what he's done for us, and what he's called us to do. Um, so if we do not understand the gospel, Jesus states exactly what's going to happen. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And I will tell them plainly, I never knew you away from me. You see, the very core of what these people are saying that Jesus is talking about, Lord, didn't you see me do? Didn't I do this? You called me to do this, so I did it. But that's not what the gospel is about at all. The gospel is not about us doing. It's about Him doing. So... If you bear with me this morning, we're going to go through a lot. Because most people, when they say gospel, most people equate that to Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the gospels, right? The synoptic gospels. Uh, however, that's not what the gospels are constrained to. The word gospel actually means what? Good news, correct? So the good news of God doesn't actually start in Matthew. The good news of God's story starts all the way back in Genesis. So we're going to do a few things. And if you bear with me, because I'm going to go through a lot. So you can't hold that against me because I'm saying it up front, okay? We're going to go through a lot. We're going to go through uh, from Genesis on, but we're going to start in Romans because, uh, because Pastor Zach's been preaching through the book of Romans. I just saw that it was fitting for us to do the Romans road, which walks through the story of God and link that back to Old Testament, and link it back. Because when we go through um, the 
Romans Road, this roadmap is going to hit on seven things. And I'm going to walk us through these seven things. First is going to be what's the problem. Then the consequences, the scope, who, who in the world does this apply to? The solution. Once we get to the solution part, we're going to go through six major covenants of Scripture. And we're going to see how each and every covenant that God made with his people is pointing to Christ doing his work. All so we can have a more complete picture of what the gospel truly is. So we can look and we can be, just so we can see the gospel anew. Um, so once we get to the solution, we're going to go to what is our response, what's our assurance, and then the result because of that. So buckle in. We're going to start here in Romans and go through Genesis and the New Testament again. My goal is to help us to have a more complete vision of the gospel so we can see why we cannot earn salvation and what God has done throughout time for us to show us why we cannot earn it and what he's done to give us the salvation that we have today. So if you want to open up your Bibles, go ahead and start in Romans chapter 3. We're going to start here within the Romans road. And we're going to start with what the problem is. So the problem throughout all of this is sin, obviously. So in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, Paul says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We start here because this is the problem. Of, for every single person who has ever lived, this is the problem that plagues us. It's sin. And it goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 1. If you look at Genesis chapter 1, I mean, we see the creation account. When God created everything, when he had finished making everything, at the very end it said, and God saw everything that he had made and it was very good. Everything was perfect. But something happened. The serpent came in. And started talking to Eve. Now there are a lot of theologians that debate what was really the first sin. Was it really the eating the tree of knowledge of good and evil or was it something else? And if, if we look at, at scripture closely here, you're going to see something about Adam. Adam was with Eve when they partook. It was really Adam's fault in my opinion. And we'll see why here. So, out of all of this, in Genesis chapter 1, the, the creation account, it says, So God created mankind in his own image, in the image of God he created them. Male and female he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and the birds of the air and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has breath in it, I give every green plant for food, and it was so. If we look to Genesis chapter 2, verse 16, it actually says, And then the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, you will certainly die. 
And then the serpent comes in and starts to tempt him. And all, all Satan does, if you look at any account in Scripture, all Satan has to do with anybody is just tweak God's word just a little bit. And it causes confusion. And if you don't know God's word, you can be easily confused and manipulated. So we see here in Genesis 3 in the fall, the woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat the fruit, uh, the fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. And she says, and you must not touch it, or you will certainly die. Now, back when God gave the decree to Adam, he gave the decree to Adam. It was Adam's responsibility to tell his wife exactly what God said. And we see here that Eve is adding to God's word right here. God did not say you must not touch it. What did he say? You must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that is in the center of the garden. When you eat of it, you will certainly die. And then Satan comes in. He says, you will not certainly die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and she ate it. And look at this. She gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. And their eyes were opened. That first sin, in my opinion, was honestly the fact that Adam abdicated his role as headship in that marriage. He, he, he was with Eve the entire time. The entire time Satan was twisting and manipulating God's word and he sat by and he said nothing. So, so the problem here is the fall. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. If we go back to Romans 3, verse 10, it says, There is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. What Paul's talking about here in Romans is that we are totally depraved. We can't see God, we can't know God apart from God intervening. It's like we have blinders on of sin and we can't reveal, move those blinders away for us to see God in the first place without God removing those blinders for us. I had a student once when I was um, a youth pastor in Ohio and the student was a new Christian uh, and well. I think we actually were in Sunday school and we were talking about the creation account and he raised his hand. He was eager. He was just like, Chris, I have a question because this, this is confusing me. You say God is all-knowing. And God's loving as well. And God knew that Adam and Eve were going to sin in the first place and he still put the tree of knowledge of good and evil there. Why in the world would an all-loving God put the tree of knowledge of good and evil in the garden knowing himself that Adam and Eve were going to fall? And the student said, it looks like from, 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 from just first glance that, that, that God's setting us up for failure here. And I looked at him, I said... One, the fact that you have this question at a young age, you're going to be a great theologian one day. Um, and two, 
He's not setting us up for failure. He did it because of love. And you might be wondering, he knew we were going to fail, so he put it there because he loves us? Think about it this way. We have a saying in our culture, you don't know what you have until it's gone. So if I create a robot that's pre-programmed to do certain tasks and to tell me, Chris, I love you. That's not very fulfilling because it's not of the robot's own accord. I'm programming it to do that. God made us, if we look at the creation account, we're the only thing in all of creation that's made in his image. Not even the angels are created in the image of God. Amen. You were. I am. Amen. That's important. And the whole reason God did that out of love is because of this. Forced love is a contradiction in terms. Amen. What I mean by that is, if God were to pre-program us to love us and not give us the ability to see how truly good he is, then we cannot technically love him how he wants us to love him. God put the tree of knowledge of good and evil in the garden knowing we would fail so that we could see everything opposite of him. So when we do see him, we can see truly how great he is. Yes. He did it because of love. All right here. This is all part of the gospel. John says in 1 John, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So that is... That is the first thing, the problem. Let's move on to the consequences. What are the consequences of the problem? In Romans chapter 5, it says, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, in this way death came to all people because all sin. Paul also says in Romans 6, 23, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God. It's eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. If we look here in Genesis chapter 2, I'll, I'll read it again, verse 17, But if you... But you must not eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will certainly die. Death. Death is the consequence for sin. We all have to die. Before the fall, there was no death. Death is the consequence. Death is the wage. Death is the earning for us sinning against God. So if that's the consequence, who in the world does this apply to? After all, we weren't there in the garden. As a husband, I, I didn't abdicate my responsibility and protect Eve from the serpent. So who does this apply to? What's the scope here? Look in Romans chapter 1, verse 18 through 20. It says, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their, by their wickedness, since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood of what has been made so that people or without excuse. What Paul's talking about here in theology terms, this is called general revelation. 
God reveals himself in general ways. There are two types of revelation, general and specific. Specific is what we're going to get to once we get to the new covenant in Jesus Christ. That is how he reveals his faith. That's how he reveals himself specifically for salvation. But general revelation, what Paul is talking about here is we are without excuse to know there is a God. If I were to put up a painting up here and, and, and show this beautiful painting, I could not say that this painting became into existence by sure randomness. You look at it and our minds instantly go to, no, that looks like it has order. It looks like it was created and something created has to presuppose a creator. So what Paul's saying here is God's fingerprints are literally on all over creation. Amen. We're without excuse to know that there is a God who created everything and us. So because of that, Paul says, we are without excuse. So who does this affect? It affects every single one of us. You know why? Because you and me, we probably would have done the same exact thing in the Garden of Eden. It would have ended the same exact way. Do you know why? Because it didn't depend on you and me. It was God's plan to begin with. Amen. All sin is, is everything opposite of God. And that's what we pursued. But how wonderful that we have a God that sees everything, both panoramically and comprehensively, all at once, throughout time. And he put that tree of knowledge of good and evil there for us so we could see, once those sin blinders are removed, so we can see him for who he truly is because we already know everything opposite of him. So this is the scope. Let's look at the solution. Remember a few minutes ago I said once we get to the solution, I'm going to start having us go through the six major covenants of Scripture. And my goal through going through all of this, this is going to be like drinking from a fire hose right now, okay? So if you can't keep up, so if you can't keep up, that's fine. Go back and watch the recording or whatnot. But I'm packing this in because I'm trying to show us within limited time the, 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 the gloriousness of how God has pursued us throughout time. Covenant after covenant after covenant after covenant. And how each one of these covenants is going to point to Christ's coming. Okay? All this to say, there's nothing that we can do to earn salvation. God's already done everything. And he had the plan in place before he spoke a word of creation. I don't know about you, but if I were God and I was all-knowing and I was like... Once I have that first thought of creation, and then I get the sight of, they're rebelling against me. My creation is cursing me, hating me. It's amazing God didn't have the same thought that I would have. I don't know if this is going to be worth it. Thankfully, he didn't. So let's look at the solution here. In Romans chapter 5, verse 8, we're, we're going to blast through some stuff here. Take notes, whatnot, um, but, but we're going to see the completeness of how God pursues us. Romans 5, 8 says, but God demonstrates his, 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 his own love for us in this. 
pause just right there and go back to those first two words. Everything we've already discussed about the problem and the consequences. But God. Wow. The fact that he still provides a way knowing who we truly are. But God. He demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, pause there. I know it goes on to say Christ died for us, and that's very important. That is very key. But let's pause there. While we were still sinners, I'm going to inject something else here. I'm not adding to Scripture, promise you. I'm going to walk us through something here. While we were still sinners, God pursued us. I'm going to show you how he's pursued us over time. So the solution here is obviously Jesus. All right? Uh, so we're going to walk through the six major covenants of Scripture. So first of all, what is a covenant? A covenant ultimately is a relationship with God on his terms. That's it. It's all about him. So it has to be on his terms. It can't be on our terms. We're the creation. He's the creator. He sets the terms. We do not. We need to know our place. Okay? So that's what a covenant is. What does a covenant show? It shows many things. First, it shows God's grace. It shows his sovereignty. It shows that he is God, that God is holy, God is loving, God is just. It also shows this Hebrew word that's called hesed. It shows that God is hesed, which means loving kindness, intimacy, understanding, affection. God has affection for us and so much more. So as we walk through the six covenants here, also I want you to know that I'm, that I'm going to show you six aspects of each covenant. First and foremost, for every covenant, there's always a mediator, a representative. Secondly, there's always blessings associated with a covenant. Thirdly, there's always conditions to a covenant. Fourth, there's always signs. And past the very first covenant, there's always two signs, an internal and an external then we move on to what the covenant community is. Who does this covenant affect? And then in every covenant, I'm going to show you the promise of Jesus. So again, buckle in. We're going to blaze through some scripture here, okay? So first and foremost, let's go to the covenant with Adam. Turn all the way to Genesis. We all know creation account. We all know the fall, okay? We already went through that because of the problem. But God made a covenant with him that he could eat of anything in the garden. Everything was perfect. And the condition was you, you just can't eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. That's it. You have literally everything else. But us being who we are and the fact that God did create us with a limited free will, he planned for us to choose opposite of him. Don't mistake my words, he did not make us choose opposite of him. For that would go against the nature of God, and God cannot contradict himself, because then God would cease to be God. He allowed us to choose opposite of him out of love. Remember that. I'm driving that home many times, because all of this is because of love. Because what does scripture say God is? God is love. Love is not an attribute of God. It's the very core and essence of who he is. So literally everything that stems from him, from his plan, has got to be love. So let's look at this. All right? So after the fall, after all of this, 
God delivers the consequences and the curse of sin. Look in Genesis chapter 3, verse 16. He said, To the woman, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. Women, you, you like and thank Eve, okay? Um, With painful labor, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. He's saying there's going to be a power struggle. I created you to be equal, but now there's going to be a power struggle. To Adam, he, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate the fruit of the tree which I commanded you, you must not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat from it all the days of your life, and it will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground from whence you were taken, for dust you are, and dust you will return. I cannot imagine hearing these words from God as, as, as Adam. God is putting Adam in his place right now. You abdicated your responsibility as headship. You ran and hid from me in the garden. You really think you can hide from me? Remember, dust you are, Adam, and dust you will return. Remember what I said before. If you eat of it, you will surely die. It's a stark reminder of just the consequences of sin. So let's look at the six aspects of God's covenant with Adam. Who is the mediator of this covenant? Of course, it's Adam. Adam is our representative for this covenant. What were the blessings of this covenant? Well, God gave him everything. Literally everything. Everything but the tree of knowledge of good and evil. It's there. You literally have everything else. What were the conditions? Don't eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. What was the sign of this covenant? The sign of this covenant we, we didn't actually get to yet, but it's found in Genesis 2, 1 through 3. By the, the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing, so on the seventh day, God rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it, he rested from all the work of creation that he had done. The sign of this covenant is Shabbat, the Sabbath. Our work is our primary means of worship, church. This worship service is but a minuscule amount of how our, our worship is done. God formatted that in the creation account, working and then resting. He provided rest. So who is the covenant community for this covenant? Well, it's the marriage between Adam and Eve. That's who this covenant applies to. And the promise of Jesus is found in Genesis 3, verse 15. Look here. This is the first time in Scripture that God himself is telling all of us what's going to happen to Satan, and what's going to happen when Christ comes. It says, And I will put enmity between you and the woman and in between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. This is the first mention prophetically of Christ coming. 
Let's move on to God's covenant with Noah. God's covenant with Noah is found in Genesis chapter 6 and on. So Noah, we all know the story of Noah. Hopefully we, we, we do. Noah, you know, just like the children's song, what did he build? Big, big boat, right? Um, they had never seen rain before this. Just grasp that. Before the flood, they had never seen rain technically. If you want to get into all the creation stuff, we, we can do all of that later. But technically, they had not seen rain fall from the sky before. So Moses is out there on the top of a mountain building a boat, and everybody thinks he's crazy. Like, why are you building a boat up here? He's like, rain's going to fall from the sky. They're like, what's that? Water is going to fall from the sky and flood the earth. They laugh at him. But God told him to build a boat. But why? If we look here in Genesis 6, it says the wickedness of the world. Genesis 6, 5. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth and that every inclination in the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all of the time. And the Lord regretted that he had made human beings on earth and his heart was deeply troubled. So the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth, the human race that I have created, and with them the animals and the birds and the creatures that move along the ground, for I regret that I had made them. Look at verse 8, though. So first of all, let's set the scene. S simplistically, everybody was sinning all of the time. God was grieved that he had made man. He's going to wipe everything out. But verse 8, but Noah found favor in the eyes of God. Why Noah? I have no idea. <coughs> Nobody deserved anything. If we go on, it says this is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked faithfully with God. He did walk with God, but that statement does not negate the fact that what came previously is everybody was sinning all of the time. And the consequence is death. But God's still like, I, I, I want to show grace to somebody. So he showed grace to Noah. Genesis chapter 9, we see God's covenant with Noah before the flood. And he establishes his covenant with Noah. If you look there in verse 8 and on, with all of his descendants after him, every creature, and he institutes the rainbow as the promise to never flood the earth again. That when he sees that rainbow and rains come, God is going to remember. Look here in verse 16. I will remember the everlasting covenant between God and all living creatures of every kind. So God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant I have established between me and all life on earth. And he flooded the earth. And Noah's family was the only ones left. So six aspects of this covenant. Who is our representative? Noah, obviously. What were the blessings? God gave them children and to never flood the earth again. The condition is actually found in Genesis 9.6. 9.6 says, Whoever sheds human blood by human... Uh, by humans shall their blood be shed. For the image of God, 
has God made mankind. The condition of this covenant was do not murder. Do not kill one another. What were the signs? Now we turn to an internal sign. The internal sign of Noah was his faith. It was credited to him why he built a boat. Everybody thought he was crazy. External sign is the rainbow. The covenant community is Noah and his family and everybody that's going to come after them. This covenant still applies today. Every time that, that we see a rain shower and we look into the clouds and we see that rainbow, God is remembering his everlasting covenant with us. And God is faithful. So what's the promise of Jesus here in this covenant with Noah? Well, just as Noah and his family found favor and grace in the eyes of the Lord, Jesus will give us favor and grace and save us from death. And never again will his wrath fall on those who place their faith in Jesus Christ. That's the promise. We move on to God's covenant with Abraham found in Genesis 12. Skip to Genesis 12. We all know the story of Abraham, hopefully. Abraham originally was called Abram. He was supposed to be the father of many nations. God told him, your seed will produce nations. Your, your offspring will outnumber the stars in the sky and the sand on the sea. And, and Abram waited, and he waited, and he waited, and he got a little impatient. So he slept with Hagar. And had Ishmael, with his wife's permission. Still doesn't make it right. But he got impatient. God's promising me a son, and I have nothing, and I'm getting old. He's not seeing God's way here. But God still blesses him. If we look here, Genesis 12, it says, The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, your father's household, to the land I will show you, and I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and, I, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed. Through, through you. We are seeing remnants still of this covenant in the news we see every single day of this war in Israel. Prophecy is coming to, to life here and now, church. All of this is foretold. We need to get ready. God's going to call us up very soon. Our urgency for sharing the true gospel should, should be more than ever before. Amen. We look elsewhere in Genesis chapter 17. The covenant of circumcision. That's the sign of this covenant. Circumcision. We actually move on to Genesis 22. Fast forwarding. God still blesses Abram. He gives him a son, Isaac. Isaac actually means laughter. When, when Abraham had Isaac, he was over 100 years old. You can see why now he named him laughter. For those of you that are well up in your maturity, more so than I am, imagine God coming to you and saying, guess what, you're going to have a kid. <laughs> you're like, excuse me? I'm just going to laugh about that, right? But God made it so. 
And get this. The fact that God promised and he came through when Abraham was over 100 years old because there's no other way that that could have happened other than God. You can't look at that situation and be like, oh, that could have happened by these means. X and Y. No, that happened because God is faithful. So we look here and he has Isaac and God's testing Abraham now. He says, that, that one thing that, that you wanted so bad, I want you to sacrifice it now. I want you to go up to this mountain and I want you to offer your one and only son as a burnt offering to me. I don't know about you. As a parent, I would look at God and be like, are, are, are you kidding me? Sacrifice my son, the one whom you promised? He's finally here and you want me to kill him? How in the world am, am, am I going to be the father of many nations? Luckily, Abraham was not me. He looked at God and he said, okay, I'll do it. So he got Isaac. And he got the wood. They started up the mountain, and Isaac asked his father, because he was looking around, he's like, we got the wood, we got everything to make the altar, and he asked his father, where's the lamb? And Abraham says, the Lord will provide the sacrifice. Amen. Abraham already knew. So we see here, they build the altar, and Abraham binds his son, lays him on the altar. And just as he's about to kill his son, and he rears that knife back, God stops him. He stops him. And the angel of the Lord appeared to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and you have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies and through your offspring all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. It's awesome to see how this story parallels the story of Jesus. God told, a God told Abraham that you will have a boy. Abram said, I trust you. He, and in Hebrews chapter 11, faith is accredited to Abraham because of all of this. They had Isaac, and God said, go and slaughter him, and Abraham still obeys God. Isaac was young, healthy, strong, just as Jesus was. He was the beloved only son, just as Jesus was. He carries the wood to his own place of slaughter, just like Jesus did. They go to a place ultimately not really far from where Jesus was ultimately crucified. And Isaac willingly laid down his life at the hand of his father just as Jesus did. So what are the six aspects of this covenant? Who was our mediator? Who was our representative? It's Abraham. 
The blessing is he, he, he was going to get a son, land, and to be the father of a multitude. The condition, obey me. That's it. The sign, the internal sign found in, he, in Hebrews chapter 11, faith. External sign, circumcision on the eighth day. Circumcision was the sign of this covenant. What was, what was the covenantal community? The family and the nation that would come from the family. And the promise of Jesus is the seed of Abraham. If you turn all the way to Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3 verses 6 through 9 says, So also Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. He's saying not just Israel, the world is going to be blessed by you. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Skip down to verse 15. Brothers and sisters, let me make an example from everyday life. Just as no one can set aside or add to a human covenant that has been duly established, so it is so in this case, the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. Scripture does not say and to seeds, meaning many people, but and to your seed, meaning one person, who is Christ. What I mean is this. The law was introduced 430 years ago, does not set aside the covenant previously established by, by God, and thus do away with the promise. For if the inheritance depends on the law, then it no longer depends on the promise. But God in his grace gave it to Abraham through a promise. Amazing, amazing story as we piece together all this stuff about God's plan all leading up to Christ. Are you starting to see how the entirety of the Old Testament is pointing to Christ? And once we get to the New Covenant, the entirety of the New Testament is pointing back to Christ and pointing to Christ to come again. Everything is Christocentric. Everything is gospel-centric. He's doing all of this because we cannot do these things for ourselves. There's a promise of Jesus because with each covenant, he knows we're not going to uphold our end. We can't. That's why the law was delivered. This is what Paul says right here in Galatians 3. The law was put in place knowing that we could not uphold it. It was that bar that God set for us. You want to be holy? This is the bar, knowing that we cannot achieve it, but he was going to send somebody who can on our behalf. Amen. That's the point. Let's look at God's covenant with Moses. I love the story of Moses. Moses lived in a time where the Israelites were um, enslaved by Egypt, and Pharaoh issued a decree to kill all of the males of Israel and leave all of the females because he was kind of concerned that they were going to be too numerous for, for them to keep track of. So Moses' mother put him in a basket, sent him on down the river in the Nile, and guess who found him? The royal family, Pharaoh's daughter. And they raised Moses as their own. He grew up as an Egyptian. 
And he learned that he was he 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 actually was Hebrew later on in life. And when he saw the afflictions of his people in Egypt being enslaved and whipped and beaten brutally, his heart became burdened. And as an Egyptian guard was beating one of his own people, he intervened and ended up killing the Egyptian. And worried that Pharaoh was going to have his head, he fled. And he ran into the desert and he went to Midian. And in Midian, he met some people married a woman named Zipporah, became a shepherd, unassuming, undercover. And while he's out there in a field and he leads some sheep up to the mountain, it says here in Genesis 3, that like when Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness, and he came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There, the angel of the Lord appeared. I don't know if I've said this yet, but any time in the Old Testament where it says, the angel of the Lord appeared, it's not really an angel, it's Christ. Amen. If it says, an angel of the Lord appeared, it's an angel. Every time it says, the angel of the Lord appeared, it's Jesus. Jesus appears to Moses through a burning bush. And I love this because of Moses' response here. So the angel of the Lord appeared in flames of fire from within a bush, and Moses saw that the bush was not burning up. So Moses thought, I love this. This is so simplistic. He's just like, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go over and see why this bush is not burning up. So he goes over. And when the Lord saw that he went over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. God said, do not come any closer. Take off your sandals for the place you are standing on is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And at this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. And the Lord said, indeed, I have seen the misery of my people in Egypt and I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers and I am concerned about their suffering. God sees God cares. Amen. God is hesed. And he puts together this plan for Moses to go and to talk to Pharaoh. And we all know the story. Pharaoh did not like that one bit. He said, I'm not letting the Israelites go. No. So God in, institutes plagues. And it leads up to the very last plague that actually catches Pharaoh's uh, um, 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 attention, and it is the plague of the firstborn. God is going to strike down the firstborn of every single person in Egypt. And God tells Moses, go and tell your people, sacrifice a lamb, put its blood on the door frames of their houses. So when death comes through to take the firstborn, God's judgment will pass over that house. Isn't it amazing how that parallels with the cross? Yes. So it was so. So let's look at the six aspects of this covenant. Who is the mediator? Well, it's Moses. The blessings and slavery in Egypt were free to worship God. Right? What were the conditions? God gives the law. There are over 600 different laws in the Pentateuch. 
in the Old Testament. The signs, the internal sign was faith, the faith of Moses. The external sign, Passover, all of Exodus 12. What was, what was the covenant community? All of Israel. The promise of Jesus is that Jesus is coming to make the judgment of God literally pass over, pass over us. Look in Matthew chapter 5. It says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law. This is Jesus talking. To abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of pen, will, be any means, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Let's move on to the covenant of David found in 2 Samuel chapter 7. We all know the story of, Sam, uh, of, of David as well. David was the second king of Israel. The first king was Saul. Saul was a very bad king. So God chose David. God chose David specifically. So we look here in 2 Samuel chapter 7 verses 8. It says, now then, tell my servant David, this is what the Lord Almighty says. I took you from the pasture, from tending the flock, appointed you ruler over my people Israel. I have been with you wherever you have gone. And I have cut off all of your enemies from before you. Now I will make your name great, like the names of the greatest men on earth. And I will provide a place for my people Israel. And I will plant them so that they may have a home of their own and no longer be disturbed. Wicked people will not oppress them anymore as they did in the beginning and have done ever since the time I appointed leaders over my people Israel. I will also give you rest from all of your enemies. The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. When your days are over, you will rest with your ancestors and I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build the house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever, and I will be his father, and he will be my son. When he does wrong, I will punish him with a rod wielded by men and floggings inflicted by humans, but my love will never be taken away from him as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed from before you. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. God's saying, through you, David, will come the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Amen. The actual word covenant isn't listed here, but if you go to Psalm 89, verse 3, that's where it's mentioned there. So what are the six aspects of God's covenant with David? Who is our representative? Of course, it's David. The blessings, he, there would be a king to protect them and a kingdom that would endure forever. The conditions, if you sin against God, God's going to discipline, which we see throughout the Old Testament. What were the signs? Internal sign, always, faith. External sign, the temple that Solomon built and a throne and a king. The covenant community was the kingdom. And the promise of Jesus is that Jesus is going to come and ultimately he sits on the throne of Israel. King of kings, Lord of lords. All of that leading up. Are you seeing a trend here? The fact that God's showing us that we don't measure up 
and we fail and he makes a covenant with us. And he sets stipulations and God always upholds his end. And we rarely, if ever, uphold our end. And in Jeremiah chapter 31, God is going to establish a new covenant here. A new covenant that doesn't depend on us. It doesn't have stipulations for us. Because Christ will fulfill every single part of it. Because we can't. Do you get that? We can't do for ourselves. Only Christ can accomplish this work for us. Prophesied back in Genesis all the way till now. Go to Jeremiah 31, verse 31. It says, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with my people Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by, by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant. Though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with, with the people of Israel. After that time, declares the Lord, I will put my law in their minds. Write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, Know the Lord, because they will all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness, and I will remember their sins no more. Amen. God is showing us here what he's doing. I love verse 33. I will be their God and they will be my people. And then we move on to the New Testament here in Matthew 26. If you turn with, with me here, Matthew 26 is the account of the Lord's Supper. Up until this point, they had Passover feast that originated... From the covenant with who? Moses. Jesus is sitting down having the Passover feast with his 12. And he is upending hundreds if not thousands of years of Jewish tradition right here in this moment. He says, while they were eating, Jesus took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples saying, take and eat. This is my body. Then he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink of this. I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now until the day when I drink of it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. He's saying the covenant is now fulfilled in him. All of the Old Testament, every single promise, every single story, every single covenant points to Jesus fulfilling everything that God had planned. It seems kind of funny to think that people can now still believe that as long as I do just enough good stuff, 
As long as I go to church every single Sunday and go to Sunday school every single Sunday and prophesy and teach and lead mission trips and, and speak his word, as long as I do this stuff, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be okay. No! Amen. A thousand times no! Amen. God has told us from the beginning, you can't do this. You can't fulfill the law. But I'm sending one who will. Amen. Amen. So six aspects of this new covenant. Who is our representative? It is Jesus Christ himself. Amen. The blessings. We get salvation. We get the Holy Spirit. We, we get forgiveness of sin, finally. Reconciliation to God. Eternal life in heaven. We're made into the righteousness of God himself. Yeah. No other creature that God has ever created has been made into the righteousness of God. Do you know how important and how treasured you are? Amen. He loves you so much that throughout centuries he has been pursuing you. Pursuing us. We fail. We spit in his face. We curse him. We run away from him. And all he's doing is standing there with arms wide open saying, I'm still here and I love you. So what are the signs? The internal sign is faith. External sign is baptism, communion. The covenant community, this affects so much. This affects marriage, the covenant of marriage. This affects how we parent. This affects our church, covenantal community as a church. The promise of Jesus found in the new covenant is one day Jesus will return. In church, we are in the last days. Just watch the news. So going outside of what the cure is, let's look at what our response should be. Let's go back to Romans. I told you we would be hopping around, going from Old Testament to New, going through covenants. You can't hold that against me still, okay? I told you it was going to be like drinking from, from a fire hose, but I'm trying to give us a complete vision in such a limited amount of time of what God has done for us. So let's look at Romans 10, verse 9. It says, If you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it's with your heart that you believe and are justified. It's with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. 1 John 1, 9 says, If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. What assurance do, do we have of all of this? That's found in Romans 10 as well. Look at verse 13. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. It, it, it does not say just Israelites. It does not say just the church down the road. It does not just say Chris or Pastor Zach or Caleb. It says everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. So what's the result of all of this? If we go to Ephesians chapter 2, Paul says here, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. It is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no man can boast. 
if we look in the original Greek here where it says, it is not from yourselves. This is strategically placed in the original Greek language that links back to two words. Obviously, it, relate, it, it links back to faith, uh, to uh, grace, because we can't give ourselves grace, right? We're sinful beings in need of a Savior, so we cannot pour grace upon ourselves. That comes from Him. But this statement, not from ourselves, also links back to faith. Church, do you realize that the faith that you have in Christ that saved you originated with him to begin with? Amen. Yes. Do you get that we can't even have faith sufficient to believe in him apart from him? Amen. And God could have said, I'm done with you people. You're too much of a headache. Israel, you run from me consistently. I discipline you. You're good for a little bit. And you go right back to how you were. As a parent, we, we, we like all of us can think of our kids. We have that one kid that's just like, as many times as I try to show you not to do something, you still go back and you do it. It's frustrating. But God still runs after us. He still pursues us. And he saves us from ourselves. Amen. <clears throat> Romans 5.1, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 8.1, Therefore, there is no condemnation, no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. Romans 8.38-39, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor demons, neither the present, nor the future, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And the beauty of all of this, if I could put a pretty bow, actually, I'm not putting a pretty bow on this. God is putting a pretty bow on what all of this means. If you go to 1 John real quick with me. I had another student when I was a youth pastor point this out to me. And he asked me a question. He said, I think Scripture is contradicting itself. You said Scripture interprets Scripture, and Scripture will never contradict itself. I said, that is true. What Scripture are you referring to? He said, I'm referring to 1 John chapter 1 and then chapter 3. John is contradicting himself. And I said, let's look at it. So here it is. This is the pretty bow that God puts on all of this, okay? First John 1, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Verse 10 is key here. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and the truth is not in us. True statement? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. If we claim to be without sin, we make him out to be a liar. Can't do that. He said... All right, Chris, so that's what John says here. Go to chapter 3, verse 4. I think John con is actually contradicting himself. I said, let's read it. Verse 4 says, Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he appeared that he may take away our sins. And get this. In him is no sin. In verse 6, this is where he actually got confused. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. 
No one who continues, no one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. And the student came to me saying, John's contradicting himself because he just said if we claim that we're without sin, we're a liar and we make him out to be a liar. But he just says if we live in him, we don't continue to sin. I don't know about you. I'm a Christian. I actually believe in Jesus. I try to follow him, but I still sin every single day of my life. I'm like, look at perspectives here. From our perspective Chapter 1 is 100% true. If we claim to be without sin, the truth is not in us, and we make him out to be a liar. Yes, I sin every day still. But look at chapter 3 from the Father's perspective. When Jesus Christ hung on that cross, his blood was shed. When we place our faith in Jesus Christ and start following him, Jesus' blood now covers us. That's the Passover. So now when the father looks at sinful Chris Jesse, he no longer sins Chris. He no longer sees Chris in all of my sin that I continue to do, though I try to rid it from my life. All the father sees is the blood of Christ and the righteousness of Christ. That's it. Church, that's the pretty bow. We're saved from ourselves. So when the Father looks at us, He no longer sees our sin. He sees Christ's righteousness covering every single one of us. You see, throughout time, God has been showing us through each covenant that we cannot uphold requirements for ourselves, and we fail every single day, and that's why in each covenant the promise of Jesus is there. You see, Jesus is a better Adam because he did not sin, and he regained all that Adam had lost. Jesus is a better Noah who brings judgment on sin, salvation by grace, and a whole new world. Jesus is a better Abraham who is the blessed seed of Abraham who is a blessing to all nations on on earth. Jesus is, is a better Moses who has conquered our Pharaoh, Satan, liberated us to worship him and fulfill the law in our place. Jesus is is a better David, and he is still seated on the throne of God, ruling as King of kings and Lord of lords, and he's coming back to establish his eternal kingdom here very soon. We do not deserve any lick of this, church. 97.5 Glory FM, your family radio station in North Georgia. Hi, 